You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, that by believing you may have life in his name. Today in our text, we, we get to hear about a man that we've come to know as Doubting Thomas, right? That, that's his name, right? Doubting Thomas. And, and more than that, more than just his name, right? that's, that's who he is, right? Like, like, like crazy cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or like, like Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter, Right? These are people that we come to know by who they are. Or, or maybe you remember when you were in elementary school, maybe you remember some of those names that you were called. Maybe it was Four Eyes or Freckle Face. And maybe it was a, a name that was endearing to you or maybe it was a name that you just couldn't stand. But, but the more that that name got used, the more that the, more the, the people associated that name with you, the more it starts to define you, even if that's not true at all about you. And that's really been the case with, with Doubting Thomas. Right? I'm going to argue that it's, it's time for us to stop using that name for him. And Why? Well, I want to take a look today at the other three gospel accounts and, and uh, the resurrection accounts and, and how the other disciples responded. So first, Matthew tells the ladies who have come to the tomb because they're the first ones there. And so he, he tells them to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee because Jesus will meet the other disciples there. And so in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 17, right before the Great Commission... It says this, it says, Now the eleven disciples went, with, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right? Some doubted. Even after they had seen Jesus themselves, some had doubted. Okay, what, is, what does Mark tell us? Well, the resurrection account for Mark is in Mark 16, verses 9 to 20. And if you have like footnotes or, or sections in your Bible, you might see that there's, there's a note on this section that, that this, this section of Mark didn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. But here we see Jesus appearing to only two disciples, right? Mark 16, 12 to 13. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, two of the disciples, as they were walking into the country. And they went back and they told the rest, but the rest did not believe. And so now, uh, with, according to Mark's gospel, it's nine that don't believe. Not, not just they doubt but they didn't believe. And so then what about Luke's account? Well, Luke 24, verses 10 to 11 says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like idle tales to them, and they did not believe them. So here we see none of the disciples believed. Right? And honestly, why should they? Just a few days earlier, their whole world came crashing down. They had expected a Messiah to come and to make all things right. They had expected a Messiah to overthrow the Roman government. They had expected a Messiah to create an earthly kingdom that would rule on this throne forever. 
They had expected all of these things, and then Jesus went and did the one thing that he couldn't do if he was going to be that Messiah. He died. And so now the disciples were scrambling. They had hitched their horse to the wrong wagon. How many of you filled out a bracket for March Madness this year? Okay, none of you filled out a bracket. Come on. How many of you filled out a bracket? A few of you. How many of you picked Kansas to win? Yeah, Casey, we know. You wore all your Jayhawks jerseys all week. Um, I did not pick Kansas. I picked Texas Tech because I was sure that they were going to win. They did not win. Right? On, on, on March 24th, on Thursday, March 24th, Texas lost to Duke, to my sadness and to Landon's great joy. Uh, if, if Texas Tech had won, they would have played their next game on Saturday, March 26th, but they had lost. And so when Saturday rolled around, I was not checking my phone to see what time Texas Tech played because I knew the answer. And so if you knew that Texas Tech was my champion and so you had called me and said, hey, Texas Tech is playing right now on Saturday, I would have not believed you because I watched them lose with my own eyes, right? For the March Madness Tournament of 2022, Texas Tech was, in a sense, dead. But, but if you really, 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 really insisted, no, they are playing, there's only one way that I would have believed you. If I'd turned the TV on and seen it myself. And even then, I would have been a little weary that maybe it was a replay or maybe it was, you know, from years past or something like that. But that, seeing it with my own eyes is the only way that I would have believed that they had somehow made it back into the tournament. And so I guarantee you, if I was in Thomas's shoes 2,000 years ago, today we wouldn't be reading about doubting Thomas, we would have been reading about doubting Anthony. And at times it's still hard to believe today, especially when the logic side of our brain gets involved, right? You start to think about the, the possibility of Jesus actually physically rising from the dead, and that logical part of your brain starts to cringe. You look at, at bread and wine, and you wonder how in the world Jesus could possibly physically be present in, with, and under that bread and wine. Or you start to think of the, the vastness of all creation, of, of the universe, and of all of the galaxies. And, and you read Psalm 8, which says, when I look to the, at, at, at your heavens, the work of your fingers. Right? God is so huge that when we picture it, we picture Him creating the universe with His fingers. When you look at a creation that huge, and, and you think of how you yourself are so small in comparison. And so you wonder how such a huge God could care about such a small and significant person like you or me. And you start to doubt. You wonder where to go. You wonder where you should go to find assurance. Well, that's why John wrote his gospel. That's, that's what John tells us, that, that, that this is why this is written, right? He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so, so when you see how vast creation is and you start to wonder about your insignificance, then you turn to Psalm 139, verse 13, and you remember that the same God who created the galaxies with his fingers knitted you together in your mother's womb. 
When you start to wonder about how, how Jesus could possibly be physically present in, with, and under the bread and wine, then you read the Gospels, and you read 1 Corinthians, and you hear Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood. And then you see all of the other miracles that Jesus did throughout his time here on this earth, and you go, gosh, I guess if he could do that, he can do this. And then when you think about the possibility of Jesus actually rising from the dead, you, you read this account and the accounts following in John and, and in the other Gospels, and you see all the accounts of, uh, of the people of, who saw Jesus face to face, and they, they touched his hands, and they, they put their hands in, their side, in his side, and you believe. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you believe. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of all of your sins you believe that you are a child of God. You believe that you are special and important and loved. And you believe that you will live with Jesus forever. Right? And this isn't some blind faith. This isn't some belief that just makes you feel good for the time. But this belief is truth. This belief is, is founded in a man who conquered death and then showed himself to many, many people, hundreds of people who were willing to risk their own lives and, and in many cases lost their life to testify that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead and that they saw him physically. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, and that by believing you may have a life in his name. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. After Jesus died, his disciples went into hiding. They feared for their lives. They, they had hitched their horse to the wrong wagon, and now they're going to pay. Or at least they thought. But after Jesus rose from the dead, they had life in his name. They saw that life physically, and they no longer hid. But they went out and boldly proclaimed his resurrection. Now, now there's still reason to fear for their physical lives. Pharisees like Saul, who, who we later know as Paul after his conversion, were killing people to keep them quiet about, about the resurrection of Jesus. But the disciples, they didn't care. They had life in the name of Jesus, and they wanted all others to know about it. Doubting Thomas, or maybe we should call him Disciple Thomas, or Thomas the Apostle, he went on to spread the good news of Jesus for 40 years before he was killed because of his faith. Maybe there are times where you've gone into hiding, like the disciples. You, you start to doubt or fear for your life. Maybe not your physical life, but maybe, maybe your social life. And so you act like the disciples did during that time between Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so you go into hiding. But Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You've been given a second chance at life. You've been given a second life. Jesus died so that you might have life. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So then what kind of life are we called to? Well, Paul, again, who was initially persecuting Christians to keep them from spreading the good news of Jesus. Now Paul, after his conversion, is, is encouraging us to spread the good news of, of Jesus and teaching us what it looks like to live that life devoted to Jesus. 
And in Romans chapter 12, he says this. He says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says that you are to be a living sacrifice. And when Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, everyone would have been familiar with the sacrificial system. You sin, and because you sin, then you offer a blood sacrifice of an animal for your forgiveness. And so when you sin again, you offer another animal, another sacrifice, and on and on until Jesus. Right? Jesus became the final sacrificial lamb, the, the blood that was shed once and for all for you and for me to cover all of our sins. And so to truly live, to, to truly have life, it, it means to offer myself, to offer yourself as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So what does that look like? It, it, it looks like each day crawling up onto that altar and offering yourself to God, fully to God. Okay, now, I, I, just so we're clear, I don't mean that literally, right? Not literally crawling up on that altar, but, but figuratively to crawl up on the altar and, and offer yourself to God. It, it, it sounds like a prayer like this, and if you would, just pray this with me today. God, use me today as your servant. Use me in whatever way you want to use me. I offer myself as a sacrifice to you. I sacrifice my will, my desires, my ways to your will, your desires, and your ways. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it means that I actually have to stop living for myself and live for you and for those around me, I surrender. I surrender all to you. Amen. But here's the thing about a living sacrifice. It's different than an animal sacrifice, right? You, you place an animal on the altar, you slit its throat, and it's dead forever. But that's not a living sacrifice. My problem as a living sacrifice is that I crawl up on that altar and then my sinful nature immediately works to push me back down off that altar. So when that happens, it's time to ask for forgiveness and to crawl back up onto that altar. So this is what it looks like in my life. Right, every morning, first thing, even before I get out of bed, I try and remember to pray Luther's morning prayer, which sounds like this. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Right, that's me in the morning, no matter what happened the day before, that's me asking for forgiveness and climbing back on that altar and saying, God, I surrender. I offer myself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And then every night with my family, we, we, we read God's word together. Uh, and even when we don't do everything um, that we typically do, we always try and end our, our time together before they go to bed with Luther's evening prayer. 
which sounds like this. And if you know it, pray it with me. It says, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Again, that's me, that's my family saying, all right, God, no matter what happened today, I'm asking for forgiveness and I'm climbing back on that altar. I'm surrendering to you. I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice. By the way, if you don't know Luther's morning prayer, Luther's evening prayer very well, uh, guess what? It's in our daily dose. Um, and so if, you know, if, if you're looking for a way to, to get connected, a way to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, a very practical way to do that, uh, either online at trinityfremont.com slash daily, or we've got these, these handouts out in the fellowship hall. Uh, but it has the morning prayer. It has the evening prayer on there. Uh, as, again, is that great way to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know, Luther, again, he, he calls that drowning the old Adam and rising again, daily rising again to new life. Now, am I perfect and do I do that every single morning and every single evening? No. But even when I forget, or, or when I purposefully put other things in front of this, guess what? When I, when I finally figure out, when it finally clicks, that's my opportunity to, to ask for forgiveness, and at that moment to climb back on the altar. Right? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So therefore, I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You have new life in Jesus. And so let's, let's live that new life for God as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices each and every day, holy and pleasing to Him. Amen? Amen. Amen.